We know you. We walked with you once upon a podcast. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Mouse Madness, a podcast dedicated to bracketing all things Disney. I'm Chris Bowersox. And I'm Kyle Skinner. And we're your hosts for Mouse Madness. Each episode, we'll focus on a single Disney topic, generate a bracket, and debate our way through the madness to figure out who or what is truly the best. Follow us and play along on Twitter at Mouse Madness Pod or send us an email at mousemadnesspodcast at gmail.com. Well, Kyle, we're back. Another week, another episode, new bracket. And of course, we have a new co-host slash tiebreaker judge this week. And for this episode, we have our good friend Taylor. Hey, Taylor. Hello, everybody. <laughs> She's ready to go. She's already had a couple of spoonfuls of sugar, I think, before recording this episode. <laughs> yeah, must so, have. Taylor, talk to us a little bit about your relationship with Disney and these Disney movies that we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, so I was a huge Disney nerd like you guys and uh, grew up going to the parks after school, basically riding Tower of Terror and then coming back home to do homework. And um, I loved Disney. Like, I was so obsessed with Disney and, like, I listened to the soundtracks to study and, yeah. And then um, I was the pre-K counselor. So basically my life was watching Disney movies and waiting for the kids to fall asleep. So, yeah. So we have a very qualified tiebreaker judge here. Yeah, for one of our, uh, probably our biggest show to date. We're really hopping into the big topics in this one. I'm looking forward to it and I'm looking forward to all the ways that it could potentially go wrong. (laughs) And it's for sure to go wrong in some way. Someone's going to be a little upset at the end of this. But before we get upset, we are of course are going to talk about our spoonful of sugars. And Chris, what are you rocking with over there? Well, it's almost October in New York as we record this episode. So believe it or not, it's getting a little bit chilly when the sun goes down. And my apartment complex has not turned on the heaters yet or the radiators. So I'm going with a warm drink tonight. I got a hot chocolate with some peppermint schnapps in it. I'm calling it a warm hug. All right. Absolutely. That's great. Taylor, welcome to the show. What is your very first spoonful of sugar? Yes. Well, it is really hot in California, SoCal right now. And, you know, I wanted to pay homage to one of my favorite Disney movies that I know you guys don't like, and that's Wreck-It Ralph. So, I have Vanellope's Mudslide in my Tower of Terror mug, and yeah, it's basically just a chocolate protein shake with bananas. Love it. Love it a lot. I mean, I don't love Wreck-It Ralph, but I love the Tower of Terror mug, and I love the name. I am drinking something that is not very creative. I am just having a glass of wine because our topic tonight, many of the uh, the seeds have aged like fine wine. So I'm going to have a glass hey. of wine as we discuss our topic today. All right. So before we hop into our topic, Chris had the chance to go see a show on Broadway. And uh, Chris, what was the show? And tell us all about it. Okay. I've been waiting for weeks to talk about this frozen broadway musical on this show i have not told kyle my opinions on it at all because i was saving it for the podcast i have so many thoughts but we only have so much time in this episode so i'm 
hopefully going to condense it as much as possible. And I have notes in case I start going off the rails. So a little context for everyone listening. I'm a huge Frozen fan. It's one of my favorite Disney movies, as you'll find out, I'm sure, later in this episode. I saw it four times in theaters when it came out. One of them was the sing-along version. And I, I just... For some reason, I am very enchanted by this movie. So I was really excited to go see the Broadway show. And thinking about it beforehand, I was assuming that Disney kind of put together this Broadway show to capitalize on the popularity of the Frozen movie. So I pictured it kind of being like one of the live action remakes that they're putting out in theaters right now, where you're probably not going to be blown away by it. You're probably not going to take away a whole lot of things that you don't already know about the movie. It'll just be really cool to see these songs and these characters come to life in a physical space. I will say I had pretty low expectations for it. And I was completely blown away because that was not what this was at all. If anything, those popular songs from the movie and those memorable scenes from the movie were perhaps the most forgettable parts of the Broadway show. The best parts were the new songs that they added, the new story elements, the new little tiny scenes to enhance our understanding of this story. So I'll give you a few examples of of some of these moments. There's a song in it called What Do You Know About Love that's sung between Anna and Kristoff as they're climbing up the North Mountain. It basically takes the place of the wolf chase scene in the movie. And they're basically scaling this ice bridge and Anna's talking about her situation with Hans, how she had just met him and they were in love. And then Kristoff's like, that's not love. What are you talking about? And Anna's kind of like, what are you talking about? Who are you to say that? You live with a reindeer in the middle of nowhere and you don't have any friends. So what do you know about love? So they sing back and forth and um, there's some action mixed in there where like one of them falls off the bridge and they like rescue each other and it builds their relationship a little bit and the beginning part of the movie which I really liked a lot. There's also an incredible show-stopping number in the second act called Monster sung by Elsa who's played by Casey Levy. She is basically singing during the scene where all of the people of Arendelle have come to take her away. They've come up to her castle to basically bring her back down the mountain and so she stops and she sings this song about being a monster and in the song she briefly mentions potentially just giving herself over to them and letting them kill her because the burden of being this person with uncontrollable powers is just too much for her and I was like wow this is getting like really deep and really (laughs) intense um but but I was like wow that's that's pretty amazing and and by the end of the song, she kind of comes to the realization that she needs to use her powers for love and to save the kingdom and to reunite with Anna and all that stuff. And so um, I just I just really liked that moment in the show. And all in all, I think you get a lot more from the Elsa character on stage than you do in the movie. She's much more than just the Let It Go song that everyone remembers from the animated film, which as you can probably guess, was an incredible number on stage. It was definitely the highlight of the show. Fortunately, there is a version on YouTube. I would highly recommend you guys look it up and watch it. It is magical, and it is worth the price of the seat alone just to see the Let It Go number. They rearranged it a little bit so that it comes at the end of the first act, just because like, 
it sends you into intermission and everyone's just like, oh my, what did we just see? And they also changed the final note of the song. In the movie, they kind of um, end it with uh, Cold Never Bothered Me Anyway. And she kind of says it. It's like, the cold never bothered me anyway. And then it ends. And then on stage, she's like, the cold never bothered me anyway. <laughs> and then and then everyone's just, mind's just blown, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was awesome. Fully met and exceeded my expectations there. Um, another great addition to the musical was a song called Huga, which is sung by the Wandering Oaken character at the very beginning of the second act. I was like, there's no way they're going to be able to like pick up where they left off with this show. Like the second act's going to start and it's just ever the energy's going to be down because it ended with this huge number. And somehow they pulled it off and they did it with this song called Huga. And obviously Wandering Oaken is, is this kind of quirky guy in the movie. He doesn't have a whole lot of lines, but they give him this whole song in the show. Um, and it's, it's pretty meaningless. It's basically about being comfortable and warm in the cold it's it's just funny. There's lots of sight gags and, and funny dancing and um, ensemble members in flesh body suits. Um, <laughs> that is great. <laughs> um, let's see. Some of the other performances. The Sven was awesome. It was basically an ensemble member walking around on all fours, but with stilt attachments to their like knees and their hands. And then they had the, the Sven head kind of coming out of their back. Huh. It looked it looked really weird, but it wasn't like a furry fuzzy puppet, um, like on screen in the animated movie. It was definitely like a unique, almost realistic looking reindeer. Nice. Uh, speaking of not being furry and fun, the trolls on stage were turned into hidden folk or mountain people or something like that um obviously i think that's just for technical reasons they couldn't put these round bouncy rolly things on stage right um so so they basically made them these like natives and it's interesting because the mom has some type of relationship with them she kind of like summons them in the beginning when um elsa hits anna with the ice bolt so it's clear that there's some kind of relationship between the anna and the and you know the troll people which I think we actually might get a little bit of in Frozen 2. Because as we record this, the Frozen 2 trailer, the extended one, came out this week. And, and it seems like there's a, they're going to explore that lore of the world of Frozen a little bit more. Yeah, so for sure. we might actually get to see some of that on screen in the next movie. Yeah. The prologue is a lot longer on stage. You don't really get a whole lot in the movie. It's just kind of like, do you want to build a snowman? And that's it. They're adults. But... I would say there's a good 15, 20 minutes on stage where the Anna and Elsa are kids and the parents are interacting with them and the people of Arendelle are interacting with the royal family. And I, at first I was like, this is kind of slow. But I was like, you know what? This actually makes the death of the parents resonate a lot more with the audience. You kind of feel it a little bit more because you feel like you know them a little bit better. That's not to say this whole show was completely perfect. There was some things I didn't like about it. The first being the portrayal of Hans in the movie Frozen. He's definitely this like masculine, charming guy who is a prototypical Disney prince. Mm -hmm. And on stage, he's this goofy, socially awkward, gangly guy. And he actually gets a song. Like when he first meets Anna, he sings about being the youngest son of this royal family that has you know all of these heirs in front of him. And it really makes you sympathize with Hans. 
And hmm. sure, that builds that character a little bit more. But on the other hand, it makes his betrayal seem a little bit more out of character. In the movie, you don't learn a whole lot about him. But when he betrays Anna, you're kind of like, oh, my gosh. Like, I should have seen this coming. Like, we didn't, we really didn't know a lot about this guy. Like, everyone was right. Whereas on stage, it happens. And you're kind of like, like, uh, what? <laughs> like, I, I feel like he wouldn't do that because, like, clearly he's this, like, unthreatening guy that, I don't know. It, it, it wasn't great. They blew through that scene, by the way, that one where um, Anna's in front of the fireplace and, and Hans is like, if only you had someone who loved you. Right. They, uh, they blew through that scene so fast. Boo. Very little, very little time left for dramatic pause. Even the Olaf, some people are worth melting for line, just, it just, did not play Ooh. at all. Uh, yeah, it was really weird because that's really one of the most important scenes of the movie. So didn't love that about it. But all in all, I would rate this like a 9.5 out of 10. I saw it on Sunday and then I saw it again on Thursday. So twice in like five days. <laughs> Absolutely. I rated the merch table. I got like two mugs, a blanket, oh, a tote go. bag, a cup. Yeah. Uh, I would highly recommend it. If you are someone who likes the movie frozen if you are ever in new york definitely worth the ticket and if you happen to catch it on tour or something it's in your city highly 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 recommend or if you want to just go on apple music spotify youtube and listen to the soundtrack highly recommend that as well it's very interesting and it adds to your appreciation for the movie you learn a lot more about these characters and yeah I could go on forever about this, so I'll stop myself right there. <laughs> well, awesome. I definitely want to see this show, and I think that if um, our baseball teams meet in the postseason, I might have to spend one of my off days hopping over to the Broadway show. I will buy you a ticket. Love it. That's what I love to hear. So speaking of Disney movies and Frozen, I think it's about time that we uh, announce the topic here. Um, so if we could please cue up the drum roll... This week's topic is the best Disney animated movie. Chris, how many animated movies from the Walt Disney Animation Studios are there? We got 57 movies, and Frozen 2 will be number 58. If you don't remember, the most recent one they did was Ralph Breaks the Internet, which came out last November. They've kind of been caught in this November release cycle lately. I think their last springtime release was Zootopia a few years ago. So this is not stop motion. This is not um, anything that's live action mixed with animation. This is legit Disney Animation Studios movies. No Pixar, Disney Animation Studios. Yep, yep. And so, of course, Chris and I couldn't make the decisions ourselves. So we sent the interns back to the Disneyland Resort and we gave them a specific demographic to look for to ask them, rate your top 16 favorite Disney animated movies. And the demographic that our interns went after this time were adults who were sprinting through Tomorrowland at rope drop. I think we've all been there. I think you get into the park at 7.30, rope drops at 8, you're lining up ready for Space Mountain, you start walking just as you're told, and who zooms by you? Some... 25 plus year old human being with the jets on getting over to space mountain i did, i don't understand it especially now with the fast passes being accessible on your mobile device like i can understand in 2010 that happening where you go 
sprint to Space Mountain, get a fast pass, then do standby, then come back and use your fast pass, and then you double up on Space Mountain. Like, that's cool. But you're a danger to all of the children around you. What are you doing? Also, it's going to be a long day. You're going to burn yourself out right now? Sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. Leave uh, more spots for the rest of us. These are the same people that post up three hours before the parade and four (laughs) hours before the fireworks. You are right. Taylor, have you ever experienced an adult runner? Hmm, Adult runner? I don't know, but I was definitely that runner in 2010. You did when you had to get to the fast, fast stations, but now when it's all on your phone and you can just start reserving places, like take your time. Enjoy the park. All right, well, these uh, these interns were able to collect 16 Disney animated movies for us to debate, but there's obviously an entire catalog that we were unfortunately not able to put onto the list. And these are what we call Miss the Dance. Chris, who are the two who missed the dance for you? Well, like you said, there's a lot. Um, there's a lot of movies that are worthy of being in this top 16, but there's only 16 spots. So some of them just aren't going to make it. First movie that just missed the dance was Fantasia. Now we owe a lot to this movie. In a way, I think Fantasia is kind of a thesis statement for the Disney brand. It's magic and whimsy and wonder, and it's all set to music. And it's complex enough in some ways that parents can stay interested and they can find meaning in it but it's also understandable enough and it's approachable enough for children to enjoy but unfortunately in 2019 it's a movie that I don't think a lot of people can appreciate just asking random people running through the Disneyland park Um, they probably have much bigger names on the tip of their tongue so definitely not surprised it didn't make it I mean you don't really have a whole lot of real characters in there Besides, like, the Chernabog and, you know, obviously Sorcerer Mickey comes from Fantasia, but that's about it. It's mostly forgettable, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, For the first Miss the Dance for me, it's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Uh, This is an extremely dark movie, and we went over it in our villains bracket. Um, But needless to say, I think that it has one of the strongest soundtracks of any Disney movie, especially in recent memory. It tackles a lot of social issues within, um, that of race, that of genocide, unfortunately, um, that of disability. And I think that it's it, when you, people think Disney movie, they don't necessarily always think The Hunchback of Notre Dame, but I think that it deserves to be right up there with everybody else. And I think it just missed the dance. My next missed the dance is Hercules. Now, this one, I think a lot of people are going to be disappointed about. There's a lot to love about Hercules. I I really enjoy this movie a lot, particularly because of the soundtrack. It has a really, really deep soundtrack. Seems like every single song in that movie is one worthy of playing on repeat in the car, just jamming out. It's super funny. It's got an epic tale of mythical proportions. But I'm not really sure an epic mythical tale is really Disney. It's a great adaptation, but it's not really the first thing I think of when I think of Disney. I kind of think more about fairy tales and enchantment and magic. Maybe not so much like gods bestowing power upon humans. So for that, I think I'm okay with it missing the cut. 
And my second one in the last uh, Miss the Dance for us is Lady and the Tramp. After reviewing this movie recently, I think that we kind of gave Tramp a bad rap in our last Best Dogs uh, episode. He's not a great boyfriend, but he's a pretty decent dog. I mean, he saves the baby from being attacked by a rat, which also is a bizarre scene. Like, why is this rat, like, ready to attack this baby? And, like, what does the rat have to have against a, a newborn? But uh, it's it's a great movie. Um, I think what really keeps it off this bracket, um, and this is going to be something that I bring up in, within our bracket here, is the it holds one of the most cringiest scenes in the Disney catalog, and that's with the Siamese cats. Mm-hmm. And it is brutally racist and it was real hard to get through um and it 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 just it sure like you take it in context of the times and no one was really sensitive to any sort of uh pc culture at all but like it's bad and it's it's almost as bad as the white guy playing the chinese guy in breakfast at tiffany's like it is awful so I'm not sad to see it off the list here, um, but it was a very charming movie, and uh, I, I enjoyed watching it again. Taylor, you were shaking your head a couple of times during the, this Miss the Dance. Um, what, what do you think about these? Yeah, Hercules and Tarzan were my two favorite movies growing up, <laughs> and I can't believe they're not on this list. Like, it hurts me. And, like, Tarzan has Phil Collins, and I have that soundtrack on cassette and that was like in my car when I first learned to drive and like I just love Tarzan so much and then Hercules like how can you not like I love Meg and I love the opening song and I just think they should have been on the list but oh well I think that Tarzan might suffer from the kind of maybe this isn't really the right term but the uh the epicness that Hercules suffers from where it's maybe a great movie um but it doesn't really fit what we might think or what um tomorrowland runners think as quintessential disney movies um chris thoughts on that i agree 100 percent agree and there's a few movies in here that did make the top 16 that i think are going to be in that type of conversation as well we're gonna have to see about that let's hop into it it is time to announce the field of 16 for the best disney animated movie Go ahead and cue the epic music, and away we go. First of all, we've got the Hakuna Matop Seed, The Lion King. It's a tale as old as time, the number two seed, Beauty and the Beast. Will this movie be a part of the next round? Number three, The Little Mermaid. The number four seed will move on if the slipper fits. It is Cinderella. Unfortunately, there are no consciences guiding this podcast. Coming in at number five, we've got Pinocchio. This movie may need more than a magical thought to move it into the next round. The number six seed is Peter Pan. Some movies are worth melting for. Coming in at number seven, one of my personal favorites, Frozen. It's going to need a little bit more than bare necessities to move on. The number eight seed is The Jungle Book. Will this movie fulfill its prophecy and take the top spot? Coming in at number nine, it's Sleeping Beauty. We will truly see who this movie is inside. The number 10 seed, Mulan. 
It's number 11, Snow White. Canine Crunchies can't be beat, but can this movie? The number 12 seed, 101 Dalmatians. I think we'll have to dig a little deeper when talking about this movie. It's number 13, The Princess and the Frog. There's no time to read a book, or two or three. The number 14 seed is Tangled. This movie will come out on top when I see an elephant fly. It's number 15, Dumbo. And this movie was not late for a very important date because it just snuck in. The number 16 seed is Alice in Wonderland. All right, Taylor, you heard the 16 movies. What are your initial thoughts? Initial thoughts. Um, Frozen will be out first round. Oh, and man. <laughs> My heart is broken. Uh, it's, I'm so torn. Like, I don't have things marked because I don't know... I don't know what I would choose. They're all so good. Hard matchups. Yeah, I think this is going to be the hardest bracket we have to date. This is, as I was re-watching these movies and as I was trying to come up with who my picks were, uh, it, was, it was hard to make choices. All right, let's start it off with the number one seed, Lion King, versus the number 16 seed, Alice in Wonderland. Now, before we say anything about this matchup, I think we have to start by addressing the elephant in the room, something that a lot of people started talking about recently when the live-action Lion King was released, and that is the alleged plagiarism of Kemba the White Lion, which was a Japanese manga series. If you don't know about this, highly recommend looking it up. It's extremely interesting. Look it up on YouTube. There are tons of comparison videos. Long story short, there's a lot of evidence present that says that Disney pretty much directly plagiarized this manga series. Now, Disney says we had never even heard of that thing, and it just happens that everything kind of is got a lot of similarities. Now, I don't think that either of those things is 100% true. I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, but no one I think is ever going to really know. I think what we need to do in this conversation is just kind of put all of that aside and talk about what came out the back end and what's on the screen as we know it right now. Agreed? Agreed. Let's have it. Okay. Because I know we're going to get trolls in our comments talking about it. Okay? (laughs) All I have to say, though, what I have to say is this is not the first time that Disney has plagiarized, and like a lot of these fairy tales are from other places. So Sure. Exactly, exactly. Um, So, all of that aside, I do not like Alice in Wonderland at all. It is one of my least favorite movies in the Disney library. I 100% understand the appeal. I understand why it resonates with a lot of people. It has a very memorable and distinct style about it. It has a tempo to it that is entrancing in a way. I just don't like it. To me, it feels like the movie kind of meanders about and doesn't really have a strong direction. And your main character is a bit clueless and hard to relate to. Now, like I said, I am a fan of the idea of like loving the movie for its lore and the universe that 
the movie exists in and has created and all that stuff. And I know that there's, you know, tons of Alice books that Lewis Carroll wrote. But, you know, when we're talking about a strong, solid movie, I don't think Alice is that. So, default, Lion King advances for me. What I will say about Alice in Wonderland is that I think that it's okay that it's it doesn't have a necessary direction because the movie is supposed to be taking place in like a dream and dreams don't always have a necessary direction they're kind of scrambled there it's a lot of just scenes and even if you think about your own dreams like it's a lot of time just scenes that you have and that that's what this movie is now that could just be an excuse for it having no direction um which is fine but um i agree it's a it's a beautiful movie um i really enjoy the songs that are in it they're very whimsical and fun and um and very memorable i mean every song in there you can probably name and know and track it back to alice in wonderland but i think in this when you're going up against the lion king here the lion king is going to be the stronger one for me and i'm not even going to get into why i think it's just the stronger one and i agree with you and i think you're, you're right. Lion King's moving on. And I agree that it doesn't necessarily have to have a, a solid story and direction to be good. I would point to a movie like The Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh, the original, for an example of a movie that does that well. It's just kind of a slice of life in the Hundred Acre Woods, but it works because the format is like a child's storybook, and it just goes between all of these vignettes that explore the characters and relationships and such, but... Alice is just somewhere short of that, and yeah. Anyways, not to bury Alice too hard, but let's move on no. to the next matchup. All right, the next matchup is the number eight Jungle Book versus number nine Sleeping Beauty. Um, I grew up watching the Jungle Book over and over and over again. I had it on VHS, and that's one of the Disney movies that I watched the most, mostly for its songs, very catchy very enjoyable songs. Um, I'm going to admit that I don't know that I watched Sleeping Beauty until probably I was a teenager. And even then, um, I probably would have put The Jungle Book above Sleeping Beauty. But having rewatched both of these recently, Sleeping Beauty is a fantastic movie. Um, I think that the story is a lot better than The Jungle Book. I think The Jungle Book kind of suffers from that non-direction kind of plant scenes together and try and piece together a storyline um, with a resolution that's not exactly satisfying to me. Um, while Sleeping Beauty is a is a true fairy tale and it's it's a quintessential fairy tale and you have the whole curse and the and the maybe it's a weak motive, but it's a it's a motive in that with Maleficent. Um, and the the sidekicks are bumbly fairies who also end up saving the day, which is nice. They're not just kind of uh, these side characters that don't really make sense and are just there for comic relief. Um, and the movie itself is beautiful. And I, I just enjoyed it so much more than I did The Jungle Book. And I think also what bugged me about The Jungle Book, and maybe this, is, this point is completely discounted, but it's the... Um, the whole reusing of scenes 
from that and Robin Hood and Aristocats and it you just see the same scenes in the exact same animation um and so essentially if you've seen any of those movies you've seen a scene from each of those movies and so I think that in this round we're gonna have a 9-8 upset for me and Sleeping Beauty would be moving on to me the best part about Jungle Book is just the idea that it takes place in the jungle and it is one of few movies that exist in the Disney library that's about that type of environment. Um, and adventure is such a strong part of the Disney brand, especially now. And I like that the Jungle Book kind of is at the root of all of that. And the musical numbers are great. Bare Necessities, Trust in Me, I Want to Be Like You. I mean, those are good songs. I would say those are top tier Disney songs. But outside of those three numbers... There's just really not a whole lot else. I think we've already previously body bagged Mowgli in our heroes bracket, so yep. no more if that is necessary. Um, I agree with what you say about the animation in Sleeping Beauty. It holds up extremely well. I would go so far to say as it is on par with Moana, which only came out a couple of years ago, when it comes to just the stunningness and the color palette and how beautifully it's all composed and stuff like that. So agree that we're going to advance Sleeping Beauty here. Love it. Taylor, we're just rolling right through. Initial thoughts. Oh, yeah. Sleeping Beauty all the way. I had that winning for sure. All right. Chris, what's next? Next up, we've got Cinderella versus Princess and the Frog. This is a really interesting matchup because Cinderella is one of those conventional princesses that you think about and one of those classic fairy tales, classic stories of romance and enchantment and all that good stuff. And Princess and the Frog is kind of a response to that in some ways. Princess and the Frog, extremely important movie, came out in 2009. I see it as the first movie that really kicked off the era of Disney that we're in right now. And I think you can kind of explain that by looking at the acquisition of Pixar taking place at the time this movie was conceived. That deal happened in 2006. So Princess and the Frog was the first movie produced by Disney Animation Studios entirely with Pixar on board with John Lasseter in the COO position. And we know John Lasseter's had his problems, but I think he definitely helped elevate the quality of the movies at the animation Disney Animation Studios. And so The Princess and the Frog was kind of the first one um, under his watch. It's also got great music by Randy Newman, who Disney fans know from Toy Story and Cars and Monsters, Inc., among many other Pixar movies. And, of course, he has a successful music career on his own. Almost there. Great song. I personally love the Mama Odie song, Dig a Little Deeper. A lot of jazz influence, gospel influence, ragtime influence. It really makes this movie feel authentically Southern or authentically New Orleans, uh, which is where the movie takes place. Really feels like you're transported into that part of the country when you watch this movie, which I really, really, really appreciate. Um, the story is fine. Not my favorite. Um, I, I might have missed something, but 
to me, the movie should be called The Frog Prince or The Two Frog People. It being called Princess and the Frog is a little bit misleading because it's not really about a princess and a frog. And I think they maybe bring that up and they kind of like have to explain it in the movie, which I don't know, feels a little bit forced to me. Um, There is a really great moral of the movie uh, and that's basically that balance is the key to happiness. The dad in the beginning says, oh, you know, you get what you want with a little bit of dreaming and a little bit of hard work, but never lose sight of what's important along the way. And that's love and that's your relationships. And Tiana loses sight of that. And that's kind of what brings her down throughout the movie. And she kind of has to relearn that in the end. And I really like that idea, especially me living in New York City. It can be really hustle and bustle a lot. And you can get focused on the end game too much and kind of lose your way. So I really love that element of the movie. Unfortunately, it's going up against Cinderella, which is a juggernaut. It is a classic, and I think it really earns that classic label. And I think there's a reason that it's a movie that people still talk about today. And there's a reason Cinderella is kind of the poster child for the Disney princess brand. And, you know, outside of the Fab Five, um, she's definitely at the forefront of Disney marketing materials. Cinderella herself is a really sympathetic main character. We really root for her to get what she wants, which is to escape the clutches of the evil stepmother, Lady Tremaine, and the stepsisters and go to the ball and all that stuff. And, you know, there are also moments of action and and tenseness and suspense when she's stuck in the tower up there and she doesn't have the key and... um, you know, the prince is in their living room trying on the glass slipper with her stepsisters and we, the audience know, you know, we need her to get down. And it's, it's really just like a good movie scene, you know, um, which I love. So I think it does a really good job kind of balancing, uh, you know, those fairy tale elements with just good, solid movie making elements. Got memorable songs like Bibbidi Bobbidi Boo. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love Princess and the Frog. I think it's awesome. I think it's important. It's an enjoyable watch. But to me, I think Cinderella is just timeless. And I think I'm going to advance Cinderella. I rewatched both movies recently, Cinderella being the most recent, as in like yesterday. And I forgot how much I really loved Cinderella. I think that this is another example of using funny, quirky sidekicks in Gus Gus and his his other pal Mouse, um, in which the comedy really lands and it's really funny and it's it's still funny today and they play an important part. They get her out of the tower, right? Like they're the ones that bring the key up to Cinderella so that she can unlock herself. She gets out of the tower. They're not just dumb sidekicks that don't really do anything. But I think that what pushes Princess and the Frog over for me is the realistic portrayal of new orleans which i think is awesome i think that it's an important movie um it's a fairy tale that also tackles social issues and i think that's super important it's not a damsel in distress it's a lady who is working really hard to get what she wants and she is on the verge of achieving it when misfortune happens and she is still in charge throughout the entire movie it's not up to the prince who's also a frog to like change them back like she takes initiative to make that happen um and i think that that kind of message is 
in this matchup more important than um, a fairy turning you into a princess. And so for me, I'm moving on Princess and the Frog, which puts Taylor in a interesting spot for the first time in this bracket. Yes, I can't wait. The power. I feel feel like you guys both did a really good job of debating. (sighs) But... And and during the debate, I was like, you know, I was going either way. I was like getting whiplash, but I really feel like I have to side with Kyle and send Princess and the Frog to the next round. I just enjoyed that movie so much. I think it was like a great move for Disney. And when I found out that they were making the movie, I was super excited because I was hoping that they would add uh, Tiana and that whole like universe to New Orleans Square and Disneyland. So yeah, Princess and the Frog moves on. And this, my opinion is not to discount Cinderella in any way because I think it's, I think it's a great movie. But I think that when you're matched up against Princess and the Frog, which has its faults, and I recognize it as well, um, in this round for me, it was just Princess and the Frog. Let's move on to our next matchup. We got number five Pinocchio versus number twelve One Hundred and One Dalmatians. This podcast, I'm sure, probably thinks I hate. 101 Dalmatians. I feel like whenever this movie comes up, I debate against it. I swear I don't hate this movie. I think it's a great movie. There are tons of things to like about it, but I'm going to do it again. And I'm going to choose Pinocchio here. I just like it more. We talked a lot about Pinocchio on our Heroes podcast. The one thing that puts Pinocchio on top for me here is the music and not just your classic radio Disney hit songs like I did the an actor's life for me and I've got no strings and when you wish upon a star those are really great and important songs to the Disney music library but it's also the underlying score that exists throughout the movie it is almost operatic it is like a symphony on its own it sets the tempo to a point that the movie kind of feels like clockwork and even scenes where there's no dialogue or no real action, Pinocchio's just walking to school, you, you kind of feel yourself kind of tapping your foot to the movie. Um, so it has this rhythm about it that I find very, very entrancing and it just gives me a really good feeling when I watch it. Sure, the main character kind of has his shortcomings, but... I think that it does a good job balancing the elements of adventure and fantasy and magic and fairy tale and talking animal in a really, really awesome way that makes it quintessential Disney. So no disrespect to 101 Dalmatians, but I'm going Pinocchio here. It's one of my favorites. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that I spend almost every single bracket defending 101 Dalmatians knowing that I will die on a hill for them. And uh, this bracket is not one of them, unfortunately. I think in just repeatability alone, like I find myself wanting to watch Pinocchio a lot more than 101 Dalmatians. And I think, Chris, you touched upon it. It's the tempo of the movie, which relates to the soundtrack of the movie, which has the most iconic songs in the Disney catalog. I mean, they adopted When You Wish Upon a Star as their identifier. It's before every single Disney movie. It's before almost every single 
live action movie like that is the disney company and rightfully so it's a beautiful song um it's it, the the other songs are also great high doodle ed is so fun um it's also a cautionary tale which i really like because cautionary tales are also fairy tales and they also kind of fall within that disney realm i really like that um 101 dalmatians is a fantastic movie and it was really a um, stepping stone for the entire animation community as far as how things are done. It's the first time that the Xerox process was used. Um, but I think as far as entertainment and music and repeatability, which is a lot of what I scored these movies on, um, the Pinocchio moves on for me as well. Shocker to the world. All right, moving across the bracket to number two, Beauty and the Beast versus number 15, Dumbo. I'm going to keep this one very short. Dumbo is like a 45-minute movie, real quick, to the point. It has some very cute moments. Uh, what's not super cute about it is uh, crows that are quite literally named Jim Crow, and I think even in even in the time period, that's 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 poor taste. And we can take these movies within context of when they were made, but we can also just see them as they are now. I think that's completely fine, and you can use the argument that we need to watch them within the context of the of the period that they were made, but I just can't, and I think that um, Beauty and the Beast is just, I mean, it was nominated for Best Picture. It was like the first animated movie to be nominated for Best Picture. It didn't win, but it was nominated, and it has to do with the animation style. It has to do with the story has to do with the music. I mean, it's a it's another one of those Cinderella type like quintessential Disney fairy tales, and then this time it's going to down Dumbo, I think. And so I'm moving Beauty and the Beast on. I 100% agree with everything you said. I don't think we have to spend a whole lot of time on this one. It's like The Lion King. Everyone knows Beauty and the Beast is amazing. It's great. No question, it advances. Great, love it. Let's keep it moving. We're going to number seven Frozen versus number ten Mulan. Now, if you listen to the beginning of this podcast, I think you know which way that Chris is going to sway. He's going to be a big Frozen guy. And I think I think that's rightfully so. Frozen is a great movie. I think Mulan's also a fantastic movie. I think that at the end of the day, though, I think that I'm going to also advance Frozen. Only because the soundtrack, I think, is better than Mulan's because I... I okay... Let's rewind. Mulan's soundtrack, right? Make a man out of you. Mulan doesn't need to be a man, obviously. She's a badass. She can do whatever she wants, and she proves that by the end of the movie. It's also kind of weird that they have, like, Donny Osmond playing this, like, Chinese warrior. I, I'm not too sure about that one right there. Um, and I think that Frozen is just more like... Mulan was at the... the the end of the Disney Renaissance and Frozen is at the peak of whatever they're going to call this era of Disney animation. Like that's where Disney began to really just, it took off and it landed there and Frozen Mania hit and it was great. And I think all of the songs are great for the most part. They're all very memorable. Um, I think that the animation style was way ahead of its time, and we, we're going to see that in Frozen 2, it's going to be taken to an entire new level. Um, and I think that the characters are just a lot more relatable than they are in Mulan. 
and the characters, especially because the characters in Frozen have faults, and they realize these faults instead of just kind of tossing them by the side. So I'm moving number seven, Frozen, on past Mulan. You all should have seen the sigh of relief come out of my body <laughs> when Kyle said he was going to advance Frozen. I have a lot to say about this movie. I'm not going to waste our time until I absolutely must defend it to the death. But um, I agree that it advances here. Mulan is 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 great, very enjoyable. We already crowned Mulan the winner of our heroes bracket. I think she deserved that win. She really is the highlight of this movie. But outside of her as a character, I don't know that there's enough around her to make Mulan feel like a really complete movie. Reflection, I really like. It's a great song. But yeah, like Kyle said, I'll make a man out of you. I think pretty overrated. Um, And then they sing that one where they're like marching, uh, Girl Worth Fighting For, which is just kind of meh. You know, people who do hot takes listicles will tell you that that song is one of the best ever, but don't don't listen to that. Um, Supporting characters as well. The supporting characters outside of Olaf are developed pretty well in Frozen, even like Wandering Oaken and Sven, who doesn't even speak, pretty well developed. But Mulan, you know, even Shang is kind of just a one-dimensional beef head. Yep. So... Yes, advancing Frozen. <laughs> Too much to your relief. To my relief. Next up, we have another really tricky one. It's Little Mermaid versus Tangled. Now, the Little Mermaid started the Disney Renaissance, right? Say what you will about Michael Eisner and his impact on the Disney theme parks, but he kind of started something amazing by overseeing the production of The Little Mermaid. And so The Little Mermaid was really the beginning of a long line of Disney smash hits in the 90s, like The Lion King and Hercules and Beauty and the Beast and Mulan, you know, movies that people our age in their mid to late 20s and early 30s remember growing up with. So we have a lot to thank Little Mermaid for for that reason. Now, when it comes to the actual movie itself, in my opinion, it is a fundamentally perfect movie. Now, Kyle texted me this morning and said that he watched three Disney movies and The Little Mermaid was the weakest of the three. So I went in after he texted me that last minute viewing session before we recorded this podcast, and I purposefully tried to look for things that are bad about The Little Mermaid. And I'm really good at picking this kind of stuff out, and I could not find anything. It is tragic. It is filled with all sorts of dramatic irony. The music is insane. You have Part of Your World, Poor Unfortunate Souls, Under the Sea, Kiss the Girl. I mean, these are smash hits. The movie is structured like a real stage musical, which you can definitely make the argument that maybe that's not the best format for a Disney movie or for any movie, but they nail it so perfectly in The Little Mermaid. And the reason that I love that format is that it makes the music so meaningful. It's not just let's stop the middle of the scene and sing about being a military man and then go back to what we were doing before. 
let's spend some time with this character and they're going to sing a song that's going to reveal a little bit more about them as a character or their situation or their relationship or what they want or whatever. And this movie is filled with songs like that. It just makes it so sweet to watch. And, you know, it's got a great villain. It's got a prince who's kind of a ding-dong. Don't love Prince Eric. Maybe we can do a Prince Bracket and, and kind of break him down one day. But, um, you know, he's he's okay. He's probably like a 6 out of 10, 7 out of 10. It's got a great Disney dog, which we talked about last episode. It's got magic and adventure and suspense and action. It's got just about everything. Anything that you could possibly want in a Disney movie. Tangled, I absolutely love as well. Tangled is so funny to me. All right. If I was sitting in my room trying to decide whether I should watch Tangled or Little Mermaid, I'll be honest, I will probably watch Tangled. I like this movie that much. But when we're talking about movies that define the Disney genre, I don't think Tangled is one of those movies. To me, Tangled profiles a lot like Shrek, where it's Oof. kind of an it's kind of an adventure movie that is filled with these like parody elements where it's almost making fun of the fairy tale genre or the Disney genre even. And you can see that in the character of Eugene or Flynn Rider. He's kind of like Deadpool where he is constantly commenting on the fairy tale trope situation that he's in. All the action sequences are kind of undercut with comedy beats or like little one-liners or something like that. And you even see it, the final shot of the movie, after, happily ever after, they get married, the kingdom has been restored, the final shot of the movie that you want your audience to leave with is like the old guy from the snuggly duckling in a diaper, Cupid floating above the screen on a balloon. That's the last shot in Tangled. Now, if that is not evidence that this movie is supposed to be making fun of fairy tale movies, I don't know what it is. It's funny. It's great. I love it. I'm here for it. And I think it's an important part of the Disney library as a whole. But if we're talking about movies that define the genre, Tangled is not one of those. The Little Mermaid is. Little Mermaid advances. I will say that I am not a Little Mermaid hater whatsoever. But in this round of 16, The Little Mermaid is the most overrated movie out of all of them listed. That is so wrong. That is so wrong. It's not wrong. It it was dumb, dumb, dumb. It was the the comedy within was just not funny. And maybe, sure, of the time, 89, the comedy wasn't strong. But, I mean, if it's going to be timeless, it's got to be. Still got to be funny. Flounder is way more annoying than I remember him being. He has this kind of like, yeah, like, I'm an 80s, like, baby, like, uh, about to be in the X Games kind of voice, and it was obnoxious. No, Flounder's like a little, like, timid, shy boy. Yeah, and like, he, doesn't well, want to get in trouble. With the voice of somebody who's about to hop on their skateboard, grab a Gatorade, and get to class. Like, it, it was just obnoxious to me. And he doesn't play an integral part at all. He's just there as, like, maybe comic relief as Ariel's no, best no, friend. No, no, no. Not comic relief at all. Ariel is a lost soul she is a dreamer she has wanderlust she's very naive and so she has these two sidekicks flounder who is extremely timid and sebastian who is 
kind of like a mentor who's trying to watch over her, telling her that, you know, her father would not approve. Those are perfect sidekicks for a character. Like no, that. but Flounder's only around when she's in the water, which I understand he's a fish. He has to be. But even when every part that he's in the water, he doesn't help her progress at all. Other than like helping her find human things. Like he doesn't help progress Ariel as a character whatsoever. He's a nice plushie that you're going to buy after walking out of the movie theater. And I think that the, yes, you're correct. The songs are absolutely incredible and you can't fault that because it's Alan Menken. Like he led the Disney Renaissance as far as music goes. And he continues to make music for the Disney Broadway shows. But I just found myself laying on the couch and just being like, I remember this being a lot better and I remember enjoying it a lot more. And I think that the story didn't really capture me all that much. Um, I think that, yeah, Eric is not a great prince. I think that he's dumb. I don't like him. I didn't like the movie really as much as I remember it. It's I think it's still a good movie, but it's the most overrated of this bracket. Um, Tangled, I really enjoy. I think that the music's fantastic. I think that the story is really fun and funny. And even though Chris doesn't necessarily like all of the gagginess of it, I do. And I think it also has one of the most like touching love songs in recent memory. And I love, uh, what is it? I See the Light. I See I, the Light. I love that song. I think it's great. And I just think that's, that for a especially just a a modern take on a fairy tale i love it so i'm moving tangled on which puts taylor once again into the driver's seat okay so the first tiebreaker that i had i was really excited for but this one i'm seriously dreading (laughs) because ariel is like pretty much like every girl's favorite princess if you ask but i do agree like there are a lot of flaws first like i don't like how I don't like her outfit, you know? I don't like how the uh, curvier person is the villain. And if we were talking about best Disney soundtracks, I think Ariel definitely would have advanced. Like, I like the songs in Ariel, or The Little Mermaid, so much more. Tangled holds a special place in my heart. <laughs> I knew this was going to be a, an argument I'm so conflicted. Oh my gosh. Tangled is like my sister's favorite movie, and she was Rapunzel. And I like how Rapunzel, you know, she took on the intruder who ended up being Flynn. She was like holding her own in the bar with all the scary guys. And, oh gosh, I'm so conflicted. I think that in the end, I'm going to judge based on, like, what do I want my kids to watch? And what do I want my kids to emulate? And I feel like I'm going to advance Tangled. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, I, I, I want to say I like Tangled a lot. Okay, I really, really like this movie. It is one of my favorites, and I See the Light might be my favorite Disney song. And When Will My Life Begin is also a great song. And Mama Knows Best, really good song. And I've Got a Dream, we did a dance to in summer camp, okay? This is a good movie. 
but we're talking about movies that define the Disney genre. I think it's okay for this new take to oh define the God. Disney genre. I think that's all right. I just, I just did not enjoy The Little Mermaid as much as I did Tangled. I like, despite the songs and despite the the nostalgia, like that just didn't do it for me. And yes, I'm as surprised as you are that it didn't do it for me, but it just didn't. And and Tangled, like, it does it. All right. Things are a little tense in the Mouse Madness podcast studios, but we're going to go ahead and move along here. I think that got a little malicious, mean, and scary. Oh, boy. Tiebreaker coming with the puns. Last matchup of the round of 16 is number six, Peter Pan versus number 11, Snow White. Um, I really, really enjoy Peter Pan. I think that it's a super fun story about dreaming and about um kids ruling and kids being able to hold their own and and going on this fantastical adventure um the whole kind of like you can fly that's another staple of the disney catalog and kind of another identifier of the disney company um but it's a it's another dumbo instance for me where it's it's like even if in the times the uh the red man scene is really hard to get through, everyone. I don't know if you watched or listened to the song recently, but it's real difficult to get to, to get through. Bad. It's bad. It's real bad. Um and not, I mean that has nothing to do with Peter, kind of. He also emulates a Native American at one point and it's a very central I guess it is. It's really just a central theme of the movie, unfortunately. Um so I I really enjoy Snow White it's the OG. Um, some of the most iconic songs ever come out of that. It's really impressive to watch to think that that was the first full-length animated movie, um, and it still holds up today. And I, in this in this bracket, I'm moving Snow White past Peter Pan. I don't know if I want to be the guy that defends the movie with a pretty racist song in it. Um, I pretty interested actually to see how it plays out when this movie ends up on Disney plus. Yeah. And I think there's a lot of like old Disney movies that have like very subtle racism or pedophilia in them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, yeah, I'm anticipating a lot of like resurfacing old scenes and things having to get changed and scenes having to get edited and removed and all that stuff. So, I'm going to advance Snow White as well, simply because I think it's the right thing to do. All right, we have made it through the first round. We were cruising, and then it got tough in the middle there. And I think it's unfortunately only going to get tougher because we're down to a top eight, and these are some insanely good movies. I don't even know how we're going to be able to compare some of them. So the first Elite Eight matchup, we've got the number one seed, The Lion King, versus the number nine seed, Sleeping Beauty. We already talked a little bit about why Sleeping Beauty is great, especially in regards to its artistry and just the beautiful hand-drawn animation that has stood the test of time. A lot of times passed since we recorded that villain's bracket, and the more I think about it, the more I'm 100% confident that Scar was the deserved winner of that bracket. He's just so awesome. Just such a great character. And 
ultimately that's just one part of what makes the lion king such a great movie sleeping beauty has great hand-drawn animation but you know what so does the lion king you can point to the entire just can't wait to be king sequence if you want to see some super intricate complex animation sequences and of course the entire circle of life and pretty much the first 10 or 15 minutes of the movie is just stunning uh, especially that the way that, that they treat the color i guess probably the most obvious way that the lion king is much better than sleeping beauty is its music i really like once upon a dream from sleeping beauty it's a great song classical and it's one that you know if i hear it when i'm walking through the parks it really makes me think disney probably more so than any of the songs in the lion king but if we're talking about a complete soundtrack the lion king wins that one hands down it's got just can't wait to be king hakuna matata circle of life be prepared super memorable worthy of repeating i used to fall asleep to the cassette you know, like I said when we were talking about The Little Mermaid, having really good songs is an important part of a Disney movie. These ones probably a little bit less focused on character than I'd like them to be, but, you know, just just the fact that they're there, I think, definitely gives it an advantage to Sleeping Beauty in that way. It's definitely a tale of adventure. It's not really one that's about romance or enchantment. Sure, there's romance between Nala and Simba, but I think that's very secondary or even tertiary. Uh, when it comes to the overall story. So the way I see it, here's how you have to look at this matchup. You have a movie with a great soundtrack and an adventurous story with strong characters versus a fairy tale, magical, enchanted type movie with some kind of strong characters, some okay songs, that's just a beautiful work of animation. Which one of those do we think defines the Disney genre better? For me, I'm going to go out a limb here, and I'm going to say Sleeping Beauty takes the cake. I like The Lion King a lot. I think it has definitely had a resurgence lately, surrounding the release of the live-action movie. I mean, I grew up with The Lion King. I watched it a lot. I even have the nostalgia factor for The Lion King. But I don't know. When I think Disney, I just really like there being some kind of royalty, princess, magic incorporated with it. And yeah, The Lion King's great. has great lessons, good characters, all that stuff. When I think Disney, I, I think a movie more like Sleeping Beauty. So I'm going with Sleeping Beauty. I entered this uh, bracket ready for Lion King. I was like, Lion King is one of the greatest movies ever. It's it's incredible in its animation. Its soundtrack is amazing. You got Hans Zimmer. You got Elton John. Like, incredible. Um, Scar, as we pointed out, is probably the baddest baddie in all of Disney. Um, but Chris actually texted me after rewatching Sleeping Beauty and it was like, we, we shafted Maleficent. Like, and I didn't really agree yet. And then I rewatched it and I was like, yeah, we totally did. Um, there's a scene where she has Prince Philip locked up in 
in the dungeon of her castle and she's running through a scenario in his mind where he is out and he's free and he goes and saves uh, Aurora and knowing that that would never be able to happen while he's in jail because he's locked up and she's not letting him out and like that's super cruel and sure like Scar killing his own brother is awful and it's the worst thing that a Disney villain could do but like I really based my villain argument off of manipulation like a lot off of manipulation and I didn't really give Maleficent credit for that I also I agree with you Chris that like the the soundtrack and the songs are a lot more memorable in Lion King but I think it's also because Sleeping Beauty surrounds itself in Once Upon a Dream like it never really varies from that the entire movie from start to beginning is different reprises of Once Upon a Dream. Um, and the villain doesn't have a song because the villain doesn't need one because you know her motivation and you know what she's all about. And I think that's a part of good storytelling. And I think that f- especially within context of today, um, it's if you're like, hey, what's what's Disney? Lion King or Sleeping Beauty? I'm probably going to just throw Sleeping Beauty out there. So I agree with you, Chris. I'm moving Sleeping Beauty past the number one seed Lion King. Long live the king. Taylor doesn't quite agree. I totally disagree. Chris said that when he thinks Disney, he thinks of royalty. Well, Lion King, obviously there's some royalty there. You know, they're ruling (laughs) over Pride Rock. And also, I feel like Lion King just embodies like everything that's great about Disney. You have a great soundtrack. You have characters that everyone can relate to because they don't look like humans. They look like animals. And I feel like you guys made a mistake. I really feel like Lion King should have advanced. Well, I'm sure we'll hear it in the tweets. I'm very sure we'll hear it in the I'm tweets. I'm 100% sure we'll hear it in the tweets. Moving on to the next Elite Eight matchup, we have number 13, Princess and the Frog, versus number 5, Pinocchio. Um, I'm not going to waste too much time. I'm moving Pinocchio on to the next round, and this is because, Chris, you really enjoyed Mama Odie's Dig a Little Deeper, but I don't, I don't like that song because I think it kind of backtracks what the movie's all about. I don't think that in that scenario and in the context of the movie anybody needed to dig a little deeper to like prove their worth and prove their love and like it that didn't need to happen it seemed to send like a contradicting message to me like dig a little deeper and work a little harder at everything but like Tiana was the hardest worker throughout the uh, entire movie and Prince Naveen was not at all and I don't I don't know that the the song was sending the necessary correct message that it was supposed to um or as it was intended to be and that was a an issue for me and i just think i just enjoy pinocchio for what it is and for its cautionary taleness and for its beautiful animation especially um its background layouts and i i'm moving pinocchio on Yeah, I think I'm going to have to agree with you. I really would like to advance Princess and the Frog a little bit further, but I just don't think I can. I think Princess and the Frog feels a little bit raw to me. It feels like the the studio was kind of still trying to find its footing in this era that we're in right now, whatever it's going to be called. 
I think Princess and the Frog was the start, and then Tangled was kind of the bridge, and like you said, Frozen's kind of the peak. So it just feels a little bit shaky to me. And and Randy Newman, the music's great, and it's distinct, but something about it just doesn't make it feel classic Disney. If that makes it feels any a little sense, inauthentic you know, it, to right. it feels not somewhere only Disney, in between, but yeah, it, it it feels it feels somewhere in between Disney and Pixar. So it's good music, but it I don't know. Almost there's an elite song. It is no, it it is it is, and I really like the um, friends on the other side sequence when when they're in the voodoo parlor or whatever it's called, and yeah. Dr. Facilier has a very strange entrancing quality about him where it's fun to watch him on screen. But yeah, I mean, Pinocchio is just so timeless and I hate to use that argument, but it's just, it's such a classic tale and he's represented in the parks with the Pinocchio's daring adventure ride. I don't think we talked about Stromboli in the villains bracket, but no, um, we didn't. I mean, he's not a great villain, but he's not a bad villain either. And he is no. pretty scary. He's large and intimidating. So, yeah, I, I, hesitantly going to advance Pinocchio here as well. I think I might have to give it a rewatch before we get into our Final Four discussion. But uh, I think I'm confident that I can send it along here. I don't like Pinocchio, but I really wow, like really? Princess and the Frog. I feel like I really like her story, and I like the main character, and I like the villain. I like, I just think it's like clever and gosh, Princess and the Frog. I really like the, the message, you know? So, I don't know. I don't really like Pinocchio. That's fair. That's all right. Hold on to the sentiments for the, uh, the final four. Next up, we have potentially the most difficult matchup that could possibly come out of this bracket and i hate that i have to be the one that starts it off it's number two beauty and the beast versus number seven frozen i don't really know how to start this argument so i think i'm going to start by just kind of breaking down these movies we didn't talk about beauty and the beast much in the first round we kind of advanced it by default just on its you know name recognition alone so let's kind of talk about that movie a little bit it is uh 1992 if my memory serves me correctly, Academy Award nominee, great music, great animation, great story, great characters, insane music. Um, some of my favorite Disney songs are from Beauty and the Beast. You got Gaston, who is my favorite villain. You got something there that wasn't there before. You've got the opening number, Bell. You know, you've of course got Beauty and the Beast. You got Be Our Guest. I mean, it's it's just song after song that's extremely good. Belle does a really good job walking the line between princess and hero. I don't think she's entirely either one, but she's enough of either one that I think you could make the argument, you know, that she's a good one. And I kind of like that balance that she has there. I think Frozen, I love it so much. But I think something that brings it down is that it bounces so much in between different scenes and different situations and different characters that you can lose traction and you could potentially miss out almost to the point where I wish we didn't spend so much time 
in certain places. For example, you know, bouncing back to Arendelle to have this Hans situation where he's, you know, rallying the people of Arendelle and they're showing him being a good leader in Arendelle. You know, and then you also have to go and see Elsa in Ice Castle and doing her thing. And then you also have to go see Kristoff and Anna. And you're bouncing between all of these places. And to me, Beauty and the Beast is a little bit more focused. You pretty much have Belle's storyline. And then really the only times that it strays from her are like when Maurice goes and gets lost in the forest. And, you know, when you're alone with Gaston, just to develop him as a villain a little bit more. I really like that. Frozen, unfortunately, there is a lack of a conventional villain. A lot of people will say that Elsa's the villain, but Elsa's not a villain. I think the villain is kind of this mental beast. You know, it's self-doubt, and that's powerful, but I'm not sure that that's the best type of villain for Disney. I like that it's an actual physical person in Beauty and the Beast. Beauty and the Beast has a great ensemble of characters. All of them are super well-defined. Cogsworth, Lumiere, Gaston, LeFou, Maurice, the Beast, Belle, even the little, like, footstool thing. So many characters and so well-developed, and they all have a purpose. I like that about the movie. I think these are two movies that have really deep soundtracks as a whole. I think you could make an argument for either one having a better soundtrack. I think for this particular matchup, unfortunately... I have to just go with what I want to go with. I don't think that there's enough here that you can argue. So I'm just going to go Frozen just because I love Frozen. And it's advancing over Beauty and the Beast. I think that Beauty and the Beast is a great movie. And I think that it's it really got Disney. It, it was, I mean, besides like The Lion King, which is fantastic, it brought Disney back to its roots of fairy taleness and paired it with great storytelling and amazing animation and it's kind of where the renaissance peaked they're so similar in that they are the peaks of their own timelines in my opinion um i believe beauty and the beast was 96 which would have been just two years after lion king um and then you go from beauty and the beast to what mulan then tarzan and then you don't really have anything um, like meet the Robinsons and random things in between, right? Um, maybe Bolt was in there. Yeah. Um. Anyways, what's interesting though is that you are only separated by two years, ninety six and ninety eight, where you have Beauty and the Beast and Mulan, which have two completely different storylines, and it's it's not like in those two years society really changed a whole lot. So it's interesting that they went back to the fairy tale roots and and even though they made Belle this smart, educated woman who was really a heroine and wasn't just a damsel in distress but was helping the beast find himself, but like they still had to make this kind of love story connection and they do it in Mulan a little bit as well, but Frozen does well is take the fairy tale aspect of this fantasy and these sidekicks and this and the royalty and the um, the songs and this amazing fantasy and really boil it down to something that's real and relatable. And that's not what Beauty and the Beast is to me. So, I mean, I'm moving Frozen on. Wow. 
Taylor, thoughts on that? Uh, you guys are witnessing pure bias. <laughs> That's what this podcast is built on, baby. Yep, welcome to it. Everyone knows that Chris loves Frozen more than anything, and I just think that's unfair. I think that Beauty and the Beast should advance. I think that Belle is a huge, like, feminist hero, and, you know... Okay, hold up. Hold I will up. tell you why, if you really need to know. Please. Okay. So, Kyle said, Belle is intelligent. She's more than just her looks. She's smart. She likes to read. She has a great hobby that's other than just like singing, dancing, and looking pretty. And um, I also think that we kind of get a little bit of an idea of consent because she's constantly having to rebuff Gaston, which is like the hometown hero. Like everyone thinks he's super handsome and like batting their eyes, but she's strong enough to be like, no, I don't like you and please stop pursuing me. And then her bond with her father makes her head into the unknown and the scary castle to save him and that's super strong she's all by herself and looking for her father and she's more than capable she doesn't need anyone's help rescuing her the fact that she falls in love with the beast just means that she can look beyond the appearance and see like people for who they truly are and yeah, I don't think that her falling in love is anything wrong. It's just a cherry on top, but she is like a complete person on her own. She's an independent woman, but she just fell in love too. She, absolutely, I agree, 100%. But I think what you get out of Frozen is that and then more, in my opinion. Like you you have a a story that's wrapped up by love, just like Beauty and the Beast, but it's not your conventional like I fell in love with this person love it's like love your family love your friends love what's right as opposed and I I totally get it yes Beauty and the Beast definitely gives off the the like look past appearance and for who they really are um but so does Frozen like look past appearance and for who they really are and you'll find that even the cutest of people are awful and that's what frozen taught you and so i think that just the combination of uh of morals and and teachings is just stronger in frozen unfortunately and the final matchup of this episode is number 14 tangled versus number 11 snow white i don't know that i've really decided yet so i'm gonna really just talk this out as this goes Snow White has always had a presence in the parks from Snow White's adventures to Snow White's scary adventures to what I believe is called Snow White's Grotto right next to Sleeping Beauty's Castle in Disneyland. Also has Seven Dwarfs Mine Train over in Disney World. Uh, it's really just a staple of the Disney company, Disney Animation. It was the first. It's, it's celebrated throughout Disney history. Tangled was right before frozen it was in the uh incline of this era that we're currently in it was i believe i saw a frozen my first frozen trailer at the tangled movie like that's very possible and i could be wrong but i'm fairly certain that's when it happened so disney was bringing their a game just about to bring their a plus game and i think that definitely showed entangled um 
Snow White's also one of those very like we're gonna touch on something and then move right along. They they don't spend a whole lot of time in any one scenario and none of the early Disney movies does, so you don't really get a whole lot of character development. In fact, you really shortcut that by naming all of the dwarves uh, different personalities. Sleepy Dopey, you know, like, if just by their names, you know who they're going to be. In Tangled, you really learn to know who Rapunzel is, you know who Flynn Rider is, you know their motives for... Uh, Rapunzel wanting to be out of the castle and for Flynn wanting to get her out of the castle and that's an interesting dynamic right there um, the soundtracks are both very iconic you have Hi Ho which is like it's it's a Disney song right there and I don't know that you really have a Disney song out of Tangled um, you have more of kind of like show tune songs out of Tangled like they're great songs but do you you hear them and you're like that's a disney song or do you hear them and you're like that's a show tune it could really go either way just in me talking this out now i think even even the evil queen is a better villain than uh mother gothel she wanted snow white dead and she wanted her heart back like excuse me what so i'm i'm moving snow white on into the final four and that's just where I'm going to be. This is the thing that I love about this format because it really depends on the matchup when you're constructing these types of arguments for these movies. Absolutely. Going up against The Little Mermaid, I thought Little Mermaid should have won in a landslide. Tangled should not have advanced. But going up against Snow White, my arguments completely changed. Snow White is an extremely boring movie. Woo! Okay? It is so cringingly slow I watched it in preparation for this podcast again, and I was like, I got to be at least halfway through this movie by now. And I was like 10 minutes into it. And here's why I think it's like that. This is the first movie that Disney made that's feature length. First feature length animated movie in American movie history. Yep. Okay. You cannot tell me that the first one they did out of 57 is a top four. They've done 56 since then, and only three are as good as it. Like, like there's, that's impossible, first of all. Second of all, they didn't really know what they were doing yet. And I think that's evidenced by all of the extended, like, animal cleaning sequences and the mining sequences and... There are a few parts in the movie where they kind of pause the story and they just do like these extended, almost like they're animated shorts. And they're just kind of thrown in there. And I think Disney didn't really know what to do. So they did what they knew best. And that's just filling the movie with extended animation sequences. Sure, clever shots of various things happening. But it just doesn't add a whole lot to the movie. And I think they're is also evidence that they didn't know what they were doing and that they produced Fantasia a few films later. They kind of went back to their bread and butter by doing a bunch of animated shorts and throwing them together and calling it a feature-length film. I think they were still kind of dipping their toes into the water when they were doing Snow White, and I think it's a little bit raw for me. I disagree that the songs in Snow White are awesome. Hi-Ho, I think, is pretty lame, actually. 
it's one of those songs like I was talking about that doesn't really pack a punch because it feels like they're just going about the movie and then they stop and they sing for no reason and then they go back to what they were doing. Like it has absolutely no meaning to it and it's very surface level. So I do not like it. If not for an extremely racist song in Peter Pan, I would have stopped Snow White in the first round. <laughs> so just on the fact that I don't like Snow White alone, I am advancing Tangled. And I disagree what you say about there not being any Disney songs in Tangled. I see the lights amazing. So is When Will My Life Begin? There's two. Taylor. Oh, gosh. This one is tough. And I haven't seen Snow White in a while. But I vaguely remember what Chris was saying. Oh, gosh. I didn't want to. Here's the thing about Snow White is... You don't have to see the movie to know the movie. What's Snow White about? I don't know. All I know is there's a Snow White, and there's a prince, and there's some seven dwarves, and there's an evil queen. I mean, that's pretty much the movie. Like, that's that's really all it is. It doesn't have to be complex to be good. <laughs> oh, gosh. Okay. I didn't think that I was going to do this, but I'm going to advance Tangled. <laughs> I did not have Tangled, like when I first made my bracket, I did not have Tangled even winning the first one. So now I'm like really confused, but I think that it's just a more enjoyable movie. I mean, that's the beauty of this bracket and of how we format it. It's all about the matchups. It can all be about the tiebreaker and it's not going to be predictable. And I think that's, that's what makes this podcast a little bit different than others the best part about snow white are the rides in the parks and then true, tangled gets true. bathrooms i disagree yo but they're gonna do a tangled ride in hong kong oh really a couple tangled a couple tangled rides they're gonna do a boat ride and then they're gonna do a trackless dark ride i believe Ooh. all right well this is a long one but to review we have our final four and it's going to be the number nine Sleeping Beauty versus the number five Pinocchio. And then on the other side, number seven Frozen versus number 14 Tangled. We have a couple of old school classics versus a couple of new school classics. I cannot wait for the next episode. We're going to have a classic versus a modern in the finals. And this conversation should get pretty wild. Yes, it should. It should get very wild. We've been here before modern versus classic, and we're going to see who prevails this time. But until then, you can find us on Twitter at MouseMadnessPod or please send us an email at MouseMadnessPodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear all of your takes specifically about this episode because Taylor had some feelings. And if Taylor had some feelings, I know that everyone else is going to have some feelings. So send them to us. We're going to read it on the show. We'll let you know uh, our our thoughts behind it uh, if we didn't get to explain it enough here. Um, And for Chris... For me, for Taylor, who we will hopefully see next episode. Taylor, are you down for next episode? I hope so. I hope so, too. We will see you next time. (laughs) 